0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I wonder as we begin this morning, if I were to ask you what is the biggest threat, I don't want you shouting out answers. (laughs) I know everybody's hyped up right now, so you're all going to start shouting answers. If I were to ask you what is the biggest threat to Christianity today, I wonder what would be your answers, and there'd be a lot of different answers. If you follow the news, if you read any articles, if you're following the current culture and climate of our culture, you've heard many answers to that question recently, and there's always been responses to the question of what is the biggest threat to Christianity today in, in America and in the world? Some would say today it's Christian nationalism. Some would say critical race theory. Some would say the LGBTQ movement. Some would say the coronavirus. Masks, social distancing, Dr. Fauci, politicians, (laughs) political parties, presidents. We can go on and on and on and on as far as what people believe or think is the single biggest threat to Christianity today, the biggest threat to Christ's church today. But can I remind us today, this Palm Sunday, this week before Resurrection Sunday, the week before we celebrate the most important, significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I remind us today that next week, all around the world, All around the world, believers in Christ will be worshipping the risen Christ, even as we will be. And knowing that and believing that, I'd like to make a point as we begin this morning, and I hope you find encouragement and comfort in this point. And there's a reason I want to begin by making this point, because of what we're going to be looking at this morning. And the point is this, there has never been nor is there, nor will there ever be a legitimate threat to the building of the resurrected Christ church. Let me say that again. There has never been, nor is there, nor will there ever be a legitimate threat to the building of the resurrected Christ church because Jesus promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, if Jesus promised it, there's not a single danger or threat to that reality coming to complete fulfillment. Christ will build his church. And so many times you may hear that the biggest threat to the church today, the biggest threat to Christ building his church today is X, Y, Z. Let me encourage you today, no one can stop what Jesus is doing. He will finish that work. And as believers in Christ, that should stir us today because what is it that Jesus will use? What is it that our Lord uses to build the church of Jesus Christ? What is it that the Spirit of God uses in building his church? And it is the same thing that he uses today that he used thousands of years ago. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news concerning God's son, Jesus. That is what he will use today, tomorrow, and in the days to come to build his church. And the promise of Christ is the gates of hell will not prevail against that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning where Paul is going to remind the believers in Corinth about that message, about The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's going to remind the believer of the message that transforms. Of the message that transformed them. It's the message that has transformed you if you know Christ today. It's the message that will continue to transform the lives of everyone who knows Christ as Savior in the days to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not me, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The gospel, the good news concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ, that's what we'll be looking at this morning as we seek to keep the main thing The main thing as we live lives that are pleasing to him. This morning I want to look at the passage and see the gospel defined, the gospel preached, and the gospel received. The gospel defined, the gospel preached, and the gospel received. And my hope is that we too will be stirred to a greater sense of clarity regarding the gospel. A greater sense of urgency concerning the gospel. And a greater sense of duty and passion For the gospel as we go from here today. Let's begin with the gospel defined. Verses 1 through 8 that we've read already. Paul will lay out a very clear definition of the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. And so when Paul's writing this. He's referencing the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And so he's referencing the gospel of Jesus Christ here. And he clearly defines it for us. He says beginning at verse Three, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is the gospel that Paul's reminding them of. What is it? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Man, I know God wants me to share the gospel, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know what all that means. Well, Paul's going to very clearly, concisely present what it is uh, that is to be shared when you're sharing the gospel. The first is that Christ died for our sins, we needed a savior. The Word of God tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is none good, no, not one, that there's none that seeks after God, that the wages of sin is death, that every one of us, every one of us that is walking in the face of this earth needs forgiveness of sin. We need Christ. And so, of prime importance in understanding, in sharing, and knowing. The good news concerning Jesus Christ is that Christ died for our sins. In Isaiah chapter fifty-three, the prophet Isaiah would speak about the pain and suffering of our Savior. He would say in Isaiah fifty-three 4, He Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering. By His wounds, or tri- by His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep we've gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ died for our sins. This is an absolute necessity. You need to know this morning if you're sitting here today, you know that you need a savior because you know you are not perfect. And the most important part today for you is to understand you need a savior. But understand in the very first part that Paul is defining the gospel, he makes it crystal clear that Christ, our savior, died for our sins. Jesus died. It's so important. Jesus would say of himself, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Christ willfully went to the death of a cross so that we might have life, so that we might have eternal life, so that we might have forgiveness of sins. The gospel defined Christ died for our sins. Paul will go on to speak about how Christ was buried. He said Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, verse four, that he was buried. You know, there's a lot of different theories when it comes to the resurrection. There's one theory that they believe that Jesus really wasn't dead, they believe that when he was on the cross, he faked his death. Maybe some of you have seen those crime shows or those, uh, those mystery shows where someone will take a pill and they'll look like they're dead and, and then they'll wake up later on. Or you remember reading Romeo and Juliet in the story there of where, where you, someone could take a, a concoction or potion and they could act as though they were dead, but they truly weren't dead and, and they're only going to be revived later. That was not the case with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Christ Jesus was crucified, the word of God tells us that Jesus would breathe his last, he would die and he would be buried and that's an important part of this because the tomb was a very important part of this story, Jesus would be laid in a borrowed tomb his body would be, would be prepared for his burial. They would lay him in that tomb. And those that were closest to him and loved him, they were in anguish and sorrow because their savior, the one that they thought was their king, had died. And he would be buried in that tomb for three days. There would be a large stone rolled in front of it. And the soldiers would guard that tomb. They were so concerned about the story that Jesus was proclaiming, that they would even guard his lifeless, dead body to make sure that no one was able to steal it away and say that he was risen. I not you to think of that. Man, his enemies, did everything they could possibly do to keep him dead. He would be buried. All of his disciples would see that and know that. But then what we've already celebrated this morning and we look forward to celebrating next week is that Christ would raise again the third day. He was buried, verse 4, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What a glorious truth that Christ would die for our sins, that he would be buried But he would rise again the third day. Next week, we'll be talking about the significance of the resurrection, and you want to be here for that. The foundation of our faith, the significance of the empty tomb, why that matters so much. But this morning, I want us to see that Paul is very clearly, succinctly describing and sharing the good news concerning Jesus Christ Christ died for our sins. What comes with that is an understanding that we were lost and dead in our sin and we needed a Savior. That Christ died, that He was buried. He truly died. He was buried. He was put in the grave. But the third day, He would rise again, showing forth in great victory that He is who He said He is Savior, Messiah, the Son of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would go on to say that he appeared to all of these witnesses. They would see him. They would know him. I love in Luke chapter 9, Luke records this in verses 18 to 22. It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, this is prior to his crucifixion, Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Jesus strictly charged and commanded them not to tell anyone this and said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus was sharing the gospel here. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, and be killed, be buried, and on the third day rise again. This is the gospel defined. There's crystal clarity regarding the gospel. It is clear. You know, oftentimes as believers in Christ, we allow ourselves the excuse to not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because we say we don't really know what to say. Now you do. Do you remember in school when you would have a midterm or final exam and you would have a study guide? And they'd give you the study guide. The teacher would go to the study guide. And I would love it when the teacher would give the study guide and would say, everything on this study guide, if you know everything on the study guide, you will not miss a single question on the test because it's basically going to be the same thing I just gave you. And every answer is what you could memorize and you could know. I used to love that because I was good at memorizing. So when they would give like a 10-page study guide, I would just memorize the whole thing, go to take the test, I can regurgitate all the information back, good. But man, it was difficult sometimes when they would give you the study guide and you'd study it and you knew it, but then they would put a question that wasn't on the study guide on the test. You remember that? You'd have that exam and you'd get everything and it'd come to one question. Normally it was at the end, like the teacher wanted to get you, like at the very end of the exam, there would be that one. And if you're a teacher, I don't think that's you, okay? But uh, every other teacher that would want to get you at the end of the test and they'd throw a question in there that wasn't on the study guide. And I would be like, that wasn't on the study guide. And what they wanted to know, oftentimes, like if it was something like math or, or chemistry or something, they wanted to know that you actually knew the material and how to figure it out not just be able to memorize it and throw it on a piece of paper. But I remember if I ever got those questions wrong when I would bring it back to my parents and, and I would show them my test and I would show, show them what I got, I'd be like, the only reason I got that wrong is that wasn't on the study guide, right? I'd let them know that. I, I share that because I feel like sometimes as believers, that's how we treat sharing the gospel. We treat it as though I don't know what to say. God never told us what to say. God never gave us that answer. God never gave us that information. How do I know what to share? When in actuality, He has told us everything we need to know to share the gospel. Oh, Paul said it right here. I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received. By the way, how do you receive it if you don't know it? What you've received, in which you stand. If you are standing firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ today, you know the gospel. And by which you're being saved. And he says, I delivered to you of first importance what I received. Here it is. This is the gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what to share You know what to share when you're asked of the hope that is within you. You know what to share when someone says, why do you have joy in your life? Why are you always happy? Why are you always at peace? Why do you even go to church? That's not a question on the test that God has not given us the answer for. Christ died for my sins. Was buried and rose again. Just as he said, this is the gospel defined. You know it if you know him. <laughs> Wouldn't it be important to let others know, what, know that as well? It isn't, isn't it important to kind of give that information to other people too so they too know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Secondly, I want to look at the gospel preached. Uh, Paul uses this word three different times in this selection of of verses here. In verse 1, he says, I remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you. And there's a lot of preaching going. I would have loved to listen to Paul preach. Thinking about where God brought Paul from, maybe you're here today and you're like, listen, I am too bad or I've done too much wrong for God to save me. That's not true. Some of you might not know the background of Paul the apostle. Maybe if you aren't familiar with Paul, you don't know what Paul used to do, but Paul was someone who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Paul would consent to the deaths of believers. He was someone that wanted to just squash the name of Jesus. He was a Pharisee, and he was standing in opposition to Jesus and the message of the gospel, and Jesus transformed his life. And Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. This gospel was preached. Verse 2, he says, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word, I preached to you. He, he's preaching it. He says in verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you believed. Listen, look up here this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, you need to know this. The gospel must be preached. And who do you think it is that God is going to use to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're looking at us. The gospel was preached by Paul, by the apostles, by the followers of Christ. The gospel was preached by the Thessalonian believers that we looked at in our series in Thessalonians. The gospel was preached. It was preached, and it's authoritative, and it is commanded. The gospel is authoritative and it is commanded. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, only Jesus. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news that leads to the salvation of man and women other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is it. It is authoritative and it is commanded by God that we preach and that we proclaim. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul the apostle was writing to the believers in the church, and he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Can I stop for a minute and tell you, there are a lot of other so-called gospels being preached today. There are many who are, who are just kind of gradually navigating away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ into something else that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You aren't saved. I'm not saved by what we do. That's not the gospel. We're saved through what Christ has done. We're not saved because of who we know or who our family or who our our friends are. We're not saved because we enter the doors of a church or give money to the offering. We're not saved because of how much knowledge of God that we have. We're saved through Christ alone. There are many gospels that are being proclaimed today, but if there's any gospel being pro- proclaimed today other than the one that Paul reminds the believer about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is no gospel at all. And that's what Paul would say in Galatians chapter 1. He would say, "You're turning to a different gospel." Verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, "Not that there is another one, there's not." There isn't another gospel. It's not okay to be of the opinion that's just okay for you. The gospel isn't just one of many. It is the only good news. Jesus is not one savior amongst many saviors. He's the only savior. When Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he meant that. He didn't say that thinking, unless you believe differently, unless you grew up differently, unless someone tells you something else, that's okay. It's not okay. There is but one Savior, one gospel, one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. And it's the gospel by which we are saved. And Paul says, there's not another one. Some are troubling you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But listen to the strong language that Paul uses in Galatians 1.8. Even if we... Paul's saying, listen, even if I, Paul the apostle, the one that has preached to you concerning Jesus, the one whose life has been transformed, even if I preach to you another gospel, whether I or an angel from heaven... Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and I'll say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But Paul would say, I want you to know, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I love this. In Galatians 1, 11 and 12, listen to what Paul says. I want you to know that the gospel that I have preached to you is not man's gospel. It's not mine. It's not from me. It's not something that I made up. It's not something that with my authority, I'm just proclaiming this to be true, nor did I receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is from God. And so therefore, it is authoritative and it is commanded that we proclaim and that we preach it. The prophets predicted and proclaimed it. Jesus proclaimed it. The apostles proclaimed it. The church proclaims it still. We are to be the one that is proclaiming to all that will hear the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. One day every person will stand before God And give an account. Judgment is coming. There is punishment for sin. But there is one who has borne that punishment already on the cross. That's authoritative. And it's commanded that we preach it. Third... Let's look at the gospel received. Again, verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about them receiving this gospel. He says, it's that which you've received, that which you stand, and that which by which you are being saved if you're holding fast to what I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He goes on to speak about the transforming work that's happened in his own life and that he's now preaching the gospel and others that are preaching the gospel and how it's transformed their lives as well. The gospel received is life transforming and it is absolutely foundational for our living. The gospel is clearly defined, the gospel is preached, and the gospel received is life-transforming and absolutely foundational for our living. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, when we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, it's life-transforming. The Spirit of God comes to abide within us. He's with us wherever it is that we go. We are no longer here for ourselves. We're no longer here for our own glory or to make much of ourselves. We are, to, we are here to make much of Christ, to proclaim and preach Christ, crucified, risen, coming again. It's life-transforming. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know that. You know that he can take that which was broken and make it whole. He can take that which was dead and make it alive. Only Jesus can take the enemy of God and now call us the friends of God. Those that were spiritually fatherless and now the children of God. That's what Jesus does. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul the apostle was writing to believers. We looked at this in our previous series, and he said, "...being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but our own selves." Because you'd become dear to us. He said, we thank God constantly for you because when you received the word of God, you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but what it is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The gospel is a transforming work. It transforms us. It makes us different. We're children of God. You are a child of God now. As as crazy as this is gonna sound, maybe if you've not heard this before, You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You have a message to share. I have a message to share. And it's to be shared with everyone. Because everyone needs to hear it. Everyone needs to hear that. It's life transforming. It's absolutely foundational for our living. This is an incredible passage because I believe it it removes so much of the cloudiness that sometimes can be there. I, I just recently had my front windshield on my car replaced. And I don't know how long ago, months ago, I had a stone that was kicked up and uh, put a little dent into my, my window. Not really a dent, a crack, right? Into It looked like like a golf ball hit it. And it was like this little, little thing about this that was kind of shattered, but it was real small, didn't inf- you know, impair my vision at all. And I thought, well, if that thing spreads, I'll go get that taken care of. So it gradually spreads like a little bit. And I was like, ah. And I even did one of these things where I tried to like mark the thing to see if it was spreading more. Even though it clearly was. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else do that? And so I watched a little bit more and I'm like, I think it's spreading. By this time it's like halfway. And I'm like, it's spreading. And... and Eventually got to the point where it was across my whole windshield and it had like, almost like it was like Charlotte's web. Like there was a spider trying to like just do his thing and it was cracked in different directions and it was at the point where I was like, well, maybe I should go get that taken care of. (laughs) And so it not only was that, that I had this crack in my windshield, but also, um, I'll blame it on my children. Like if they come and they're in the car or whatever, and, and sometimes their fingerprints will be on the front, you know, front, uh. Window there, and, and on the side windows, and there'll be fingerprints there. And when the sun's really blazing, it's like all cloudy, and you can't see things really good. And I could I could have just cleaned it, but I'm going to be replacing it anyhow. So I figured, why waste the time cleaning it when I'm going to replace it? And so I, the day finally came where I took it to clean it or to have it replaced. And so I, I drove it in. I won't tell you where because I don't know. I, I don't know yet if it's going to hold up, so I don't want to give an endorsement. But I took it to get to get to get the windshield replaced. And I came back to get my car, and when I turned the car and I, I looked out the window, I'm like, man, that's, that's really nice. <laughs> like, it's, it's clear. <laughs> like, the, the cracks are gone, the smudges are gone, and I'm gonna have to clean that more often if this is what this does. <laughs> yeah. Everything was there, everything was crystal clear. You know, sometimes as believers in Christ, we can make sharing the gospel so difficult. We can cloud everything up. Well, you got to share this, and you got to share this, and you got to share this, and you got to make sure you share this, and you got to share this, and share this. And I don't know what you're going to do if someone asks you this. I think what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, is he, like, takes that off, puts nice and clean on, and says, let me share with you the gospel that I preached, that you received, and by which you're being saved. The gospel clearly defined. It is clearly defined for you as a believer. It's clearly defined for those of you that don't know Christ today. You and I are sinners. We're deserving of punishment and the wrath of God. And there's nothing that you or I could do to earn favor with God. If you're sitting here today You're sitting under the wrath of God if you don't know Christ as your Savior. But the good news concerning Jesus is that Christ would come to this earth. He would sacrifice his life and die the death of a cross. Be buried. And then rise victoriously that third day. Proving that he is God. And the word of God says, if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved from your sin. The gospel is clearly defined. The message of the gospel should be clearly preached, church. We have no excuses. We should be clearly preaching the gospel, and the work of the gospel should be clearly seen in our lives. If we say Jesus Christ has transformed our lives, let's prove it by the way that we live and the message that we proclaim. So can I just encourage you with three challenges as you go from here today? The gospel, know it, preach it, live it. Know it, preach it, and live it. And you watch as Jesus Christ builds his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that life-transforming work of the gospel. I pray that as believers, as followers of Christ, we would know the gospel, we would preach the gospel, we would live the gospel day in and day out for your glory. Having confidence, Lord, of the truth that you will build your church. We do this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.